Tonight we'll be in the letter to the Philippians, and we'll be looking at chapter number four of Philippians. I want to speak to us the word I've entitled Christian Joy. Christian Joy. As you heard from the introductory part in this evening's uh, reading, what we have before us is the later of joy, the later of rejoicing. Now, it's very ironic that this later of joy and rejoicing is written by the man who is behind bars. He is not a free man. And yet, the word of God, according to what Paul says, is not bound. And that gave him reason to rejoice. Now, joy stands in opposition to, to complaints. I was trying to find a story that would be befitting as a way of introduction, and I came across some story. It's the title of it is A Wise Man's Jokes. Now, a story goes that a wise man once faced a group of people, and this I believe will be very close to our, our hearts, who are complaining about the same issue over and over and over again. So one day, instead of listening to the complaints, he told them a joke. And everyone laughed at that joke. Then this wise man repeated the joke and very few people smiled. This wise man finally repeated the same joke for the third time. But no one reacted. The man smiled and said, you, you won't laugh at this same joke more than you did at first. And then he says, so what are you getting from continuing complaining about the same problem? So in other words, you have been entertaining this issue that's been before you, and the more you focus your attention on it, the wider and wider it gets and the heavier your hearts get, and the more disturbed you become. In a way of bringing up a light moment, he challenges them that there is no need to complain about the same thing repeatedly. And I think this would like strike very close to home. If I was to ask, what is it that you worry about the most? It's possibly one thing you always draw your mind on all the time. And that very thing takes away the joy you're supposed to enjoy in Christ. It is very necessary for us to consider the Apostle Paul's letter to the Philippian believers. Because at times, we Christians, we do get caught up in a rut of complaining. 
At times our complaints, I would say, they can be legitimate. Because a complaint is a result of something that is disturbing you. And your desire to find the solution to it. But you just can't find the solution. And now you let your mind dwell on it. We get fixed on those negative thoughts. But when we complain, we rob ourselves of the joy we are supposed to have. We, we basically, when we complain, what we are saying is God doesn't know. And God doesn't understand. You are basically saying you are the one who is in charge of your life. Therefore, you want to look for the solution. Without your reliance on God. And again, I do not want to trivialize the issues. If we are to open up the flow to share the issues that we grapple with. We talk about that as... I heard from one of my professors, his statement would be, until the cows come home. But we need to realize, dear ones, that this joy we have transcends what is in this world. It is the joy which comes from God. And this is what we find the Apostle Paul encouraging the believers. Now read with me from... Philippians chapter 4. I'll read for us until verse 9. Paul says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and my crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. I urge you, dear, and I urge Sintic, to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companions, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggles in the cause of the gospel. Together with Clement, uh, Clement also and the race of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Now our text. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard you, your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if any worth, anything worth of praise, Dwell on these things. 
the things you have heard, rather things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Verse 8 strikes very close to the introduction that I gave to us. Dwelling your minds on these things that the Apostle Paul has listed. I want to bring to us just two exhortations, and I hope I go through these tonight to the very end. Firstly, the exhortation to rejoice. The exhortation to rejoice. This basically the Apostle Paul is calling on believers to have the right spirit and the right conduct if they have identified themselves as the Christians. The Apostle Paul, in verse 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. If you went back to chapter 3, and verse 1, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing again is no trouble to me. And it is a safeguard for you. Rejoice. Now, like I said, the Apostle Paul is in prison. And he has known the first hand of rejoicing in the Lord. In other words, his joy is not attached or defined by his surrounding circumstance. It is the disposition of his heart before God and how God regards him. That is the motivation for his rejoicing. Now what is this to rejoice? What is it to rejoice? Well, rejoice is a verb. It is a present imperative which compels us to rejoice. It is a command. That which we have, we have got to rejoice. So this is a primary verb. And the meaning of it is to be cheerful. To be calmly happy. The, 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 the word there is calm. That's why later on he says, be anxious for nothing. Be calm. Well, the Apostle Paul is saying that this rejoicing is to experience joy and gladness in the highest degree. Joy and gladness. This joy and gladness which is lively and it is pleasurable. The same kind of language the psalmist employs in Psalm 9. I will rejoice in thy salvation. I will continue on rejoicing in the salvation. That is to, to be joyful, to be gladdened. This, of course, the Apostle Paul is not asking that people return this fickle happiness. The happiness which is defined by material possessions. Or the earthly kind of happiness or joy or rejoicing. 
But rather, this is the joy which is expressed in praise and worship. It is very much centered on the disposition of the heart to be well. And because of how you stand before God, the Lord has enabled you to possess this very joy. And you delight in it. This joy is not burdensome to you. It is something that basically defines who you and I are in the sight of God. That's why Christians are supposed to be strange. That's just the way we should be. Strange. We'll later on come and read from the Apostle Paul's submission. He is speaking about so many things that he experienced in the cause of the gospel. Beatings. But he rejoiced. No one does that. So this joy is the kind that exceeds all surrounding circumstances. The Apostle Paul desires that this joy be something that believers re realizes that they have. This joy is the kind which was in the Lord Jesus Christ himself. If you read in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, we know the Lord Jesus Christ was about to be crucified. Yes, we are told that his sweat was like that of the blood. But the way the Hebrew writer puts it across, he says concerning Christ, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he seated at the hand of the throne of God. For the joy, the rejoicing he was about to enter in, he despised the shame of the cross. That is the kind of joy. In fact, Proverbs 29 and verse 30, uh, sorry, verse 3 says, Whosoever loves wisdom, rejoices. Now we know when we talk about wisdom, it is, it points primarily to Christ as wisdom personified. If we love Christ, we will rejoice. If we have him, we will rejoice. The apostle is urging believers to rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And he says, I will say it again. Rejoice. Rejoice. In verse 9 of chapter, rather chapter 4 of Philippians, he says, The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. Among those things, You'd find in 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 10, he said, sorrowful yet rejoicing. 
The things that you have seen, you have learned, you look at me and imitate me, as Paul said, as I imitate Christ. The Apostle Paul was able to rejoice in the Lord. He was not the kind of a man who would say one thing and then leave the other. Just like how Christ was consistent with his word. The rejoicing theme extends to Thessalonians as well. First Thessalonians 5.16 Rejoice. Always. Rejoice. Always. So when we talk about rejoicing, rejoicing is an act and a heart disposition that expresses the ultimate joy and gladness in God. Because what we have is something that is not, in fact, that is very foreign to our native constitution. It's very easy when something bad happens to complain about it. It is the other thing to rejoice over the bad thing that happens to us. Because that will mean we are relying on God. When the Apostle Paul calls on believers to rejoice. He's calling on them to experience this joy that is given to them by God. It is a joy that is given to them. Rejoicing in the Lord. He says again, I say rejoice. But look at the object of this rejoicing. Look at the object. Of this rejoicing. He's not just saying rejoice anyhow you feel like. Because we'll have misplaced priorities. We'll start making our jobs the center of attention. And the reason to rejoice. Yes, we can rejoice in those things because God has given to us. But this kind of rejoicing Paul is calling on believers. It, it, it engages the mind and the heart. In the way of worship, of honor, of praise to God. He says rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Now, the pronoun that the Apostle Paul uses here is very much in line with what we've been, we learned this morning. It is the word which speak about the Lord who is supreme in authority. Rejoice in this supreme God, in this supreme Lord. This Lord is the one in control of all things. This Lord is the master of all things. He says rejoice in the Lord. By implication, he is saying, if all that which is in the world is taken away from you, you still need to rejoice because of Christ. That's what Paul is saying. Rejoice in the Lord. So it means that our joy springs forth from Christ our Lord. 
The joy of the Lord is, is my strength, said Nehemiah. He, he's saying Christ should be the foundation for our joy. We, we, we ought to love him if he's indeed the spring of our, our joy. We have to express this joy in our serving of him. It also means we have to rejoice in the blessing that which Christ himself has given. What is that blessing? Our identity. Our citizenship is in heaven. It's actually in this same letter the Apostle Paul made a reference to that. We are not defined by this world and the things that are in this world, but by Christ. So we must rejoice in the Lord. When the world would rejoice in the created things, we are to rejoice in the creator of all things. Because this creator of all things is our keeper. Not only did he create them, he sustains all things. This very same Lord who is the keeper, the sustainer of all things, he has all the power. That's why we are able to rejoice, to rejoice in him. So, this joy must, it is not a maybe, it must characterize all the believers. If we know the Lord, we should be known by this. In fact, the Apostle Paul uh, says the same thing. Uh, if, if, if you can look at verse 4. Sorry, verse 5. We are seeing the gentleness or the gentle spirit being the product of the position that the believers hold. But he says this. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. So this is something we have. And it will be seen or be known by all men. So the people of God are able to rejoice because of the varied blessings that which we have. For instance, we have the deliverance from God. He transferred us, to use the Apostle Paul's words, to the Colossian believers. From the domain of darkness. And we've been transferred into the kingdom of his son. In which we have forgiveness of sin. We have been delivered. We are able to rejoice because of the goodness of the Lord. He is a good God. There is no other God beside him. We are able to rejoice because of the righteousness of God which has been imputed upon us. We are able to rejoice because of the word of God. We are not left to our own devices. He has revealed his mind to us. He's guiding us. He's leading us. He's building us up in the most holy faith. We are able uh, to rejoice. We are able to rejoice because of the consolation we have received from him. 
This is the comfort we will never find in this world. We are able uh, to rejoice. So there are many reasons we can rejoice. When the Apostle Paul says rejoice in the Lord, our object of rejoicing is this Lord who has given us all these benefits. The psalmist said, bless the Lord all my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. And he urges the believers, those that read the psalm, that we ought not to forget all the benefits. He forgives our sins. He renews our strength. We have the reason. We can also rejoice. I wonder if we take time to ponder on this. We can rejoice because of God's presence. There was a time I really struggled with certain prayers. Lord, we come into your presence. I used to wonder, do we ever move away from the presence of God if he's omnipresent? He's there. But I later on learned that we acknowledge him his presence when he utter words like that. So we can rejoice. We can rejoice because of the great salvation we have received from him. We can rejoice. We can rejoice because we trust him. Our sins have been atoned for. We have the righteousness of God and he is the faithful God. He who began a good work in us shall perform it. So our joy can be seen in the midst of sorrow. Our joy can be seen in the midst or in the face of persecution. Our joy can also be seen in the face of bereavement. Our joy can still be seen even when every other individual turns their back on us. We can still rejoice. Because our joy is not in man. Our joy is in the Lord. The Apostle Paul says rejoice in the Lord. But our joy in Christ should be continuous. This is what we find Paul saying in verse 4 still. Rejoice in the Lord. And it gives us that adverb. Always. Rejoice in the Lord. Always. When you read that statement, what should click in our mind is that question, how long? Rejoice in the Lord in the midst of sorrow. How long? He says, always. Rejoice in the Lord. Paul says, My brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same thing again it's not trouble to me. And he says it is safe. Safe God for you. Always. Always speak about the idea of unceasing. It, it, it talks about the rejoicing all the time. 
like you are always rejoicing. There is no time when that disposition of the mind of rejoicing gets disengaged. Because if we are rejoicing in the Lord and because we have this unbreakable relationship and fellowship with the Lord, we ought to always rejoice. But I think it's very difficult. It's difficult to rejoice always. Because if I was to ask us, when the sun rose today, did we have the heart of rejoicing? When we walked through those doors and we opened the scriptures and we sang that hymn, did we do that out of a heart that is rejoicing? When we went home, how was the disposition of our hearts? Let me bring a shocker to us. Tomorrow is Monday. For those that go to offices, you know that there's a pile of work to be done. That paperwork. The reports to be made. And he's saying you need to rejoice always. Even in the face of that unkind boss, you need to rejoice always. That's why I said Christians are strange people. We are called to live a life that is otherwise unfamiliar to many. He says rejoice always. We can with affection. And the reason is simple. We do not belong here. Our citizenship is in heaven. Now just, just to bring us up to speed, the Apostle Paul, is writing this later, as I already mentioned. He is in prison. The circumstance under which he wrote this letter. It wasn't as if he had a very fancy table, sipping a cup of coffee in a, an air-conditioned prison. It wasn't like that. His feet are shackled. And there he was. That though I'm bound, the word of God is not bound. Of all people, the apostle Paul shouldn't have written this letter. And yet he did. Because he understood the secret of the fullness of joy there is in Christ. Despite the difficulties, believers are to cherish this abiding joy that which is in God. So the Apostle Paul's desire is to remind the believers when he says we ought to rejoice in the Lord always or at all times that even during those dark times, during those dark moments, the moments when we feel so drained of strength, the moment when we feel so lost. The moment when we feel like we desire someone to speak a word of encouragement to us. And then when the man or the woman or the brethren come and visit you, they speak to you. It still feels that they are missing the mark. The Apostle Paul says, 
you still have the fullness of joy in Christ. And that is not easy. Philippians 1 and verse 7. The Apostle Paul says, For it is only right for me to feel this way about you because I have you on my heart since both in my imprisonment and in my defense and confirmation of the gospel. You all are partakers of the grace with me. This grace which has laid me in prison, which many of you are about to be imprisoned as well. And he's saying you still have to remain faithful and rejoice in the Lord. You have partnered with me. You've identified yourselves with me. I am the prisoner of Christ. Philippians 1 and verse 29. He says, For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. So when you suffer for his sake, still rejoice, always. In fact, it is such a great blessing that you suffer for Christ and not because you and I lived reckless lives and therefore we suffer. But Paul is saying they need to rejoice even in the face of tribulations, adversities, in the face of pain. Romans 5.3 and not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulations bring about perseverance. Rejoicing always. Now, the tribulations vary. There is no one size fits all. Depending on the level of our devotion to God and the level of maturity in grace, the Lord allows those pains and adversity to come. But the Lord will still be sufficient to us. But the Apostle Paul is saying we ought to rejoice. The ones who should rejoice are those who have overcome sin by the power of the blood of Christ. He has died and he has made us partakers of his divine nature and we are the ones that ought to rejoice. We have been delivered from the bondage of sin. Romans 8.1 is very clear. There is no condemnation to us. So even if we are faced with any manner of tribulation, of pain, or persecution, that does not come to condemn us. But rather that comes to purify and sanctify us. Even to stand aright before God. 
All things work together for good, the Apostle Paul said. That's why we need to rejoice. All things. Paul said, let no one boast in man, for all things belong to you. Now, the reason why we need to rejoice in the Lord is because of our union with Christ. Scriptures are very clear that nothing can separate us from the love of God. The reason we celebrate or even rejoice or have this joy is because how we stand before. Maybe we, let's just turn there. Uh, Romans and chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Read from verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God. Who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of God. Or rather of Christ. Will tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. Just as it is written, for your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why should we rejoice? Because nothing, nothing can separate us from his love. It's just a reminder, brethren, that when faced with hardships, yes, we are very much human. We feel all manner of disappointments. We feel all manner of pain. But we also experience that the disposition of discontentment over certain things. But what we need to realize is 
The Lord God has commanded you and me to always rejoice. Always. And our rejoicing is founded in Christ. The way the Apostle Paul concludes chapter number 8 of Romans just hits the nail's head. Nothing. Nothing. Now when you look at those elements Paul brings forth, death, death is painful. Very painful. And the healing from losing someone we love doesn't come by so easily. And worse off, if we lose someone we love who did not know the Lord, that even makes the grieving more worse. But when we lose those that know the Lord, we grieve with hope. And we rejoice in the midst of grieving because of the one who has called them home. He knows the perfect time. And he has answered our prayers. Before we read about Paul's tribulations, I just want to encourage us if we have lost the loved ones or are yet to lose the loved ones, especially those that know the Lord, one thing I've come to learn is that when the Lord God calls them home, he's answering prayer. That is an answer to prayer. There is this biasness in us when we pray our desire is for the loved ones to get better. But one thing we don't realize is the Lord's ways are not our ways. No, his thoughts, our thoughts. But in his grace, he does answer us when he takes the dear one home. Paul says, even this life will not be able to separate us from the love that is in Christ. And all these, and he speaks about the great things, the angels, the principalities. These are elements beyond our strength. They cannot pluck us out of that love. Now, if you would please turn with me to Second Corinthians. I want us to read something about the Apostle Paul's tribulation. Now, this is just one of many other painful experiences the Apostle Paul encountered. And as we read, just try to imagine yourself in the Apostle Paul's shoes. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 16. Paul says, again I say, now we know the context, Paul is defending his apostleship. Others have come and trying to ridicule how Paul wasn't an apostle enough. 
but he is saying that he would rather boast in weakness. And the things that he experienced, and he says in these he's going to, to boast. And his boasting is an extension of his rejoicing in what the Lord had allowed him to go through. But look at verse 16. Again I say, let no one think me foolish. But if you do, receive me even as, a fool, as, as foolish, so that I also may boast a little. What I'm saying, I am not saying as the Lord would, but as in foolishness and in this confidence of boasting. Since many boast according to the flesh, I will boast also. For you being so wise, tolerate the foolish gladly. He says, for you tolerate it. If anyone enslaves you, anyone devours you, anyone takes advantage of you, anyone exalts himself, anyone hates you in the face. To my shame, I must say that we have been weak by comparison. But in whatever respect anyone else is bold, I speak in foolishness. I'm just as bold myself. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I more so, in far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. I once was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day, but I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journey, in danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, Dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and in thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. And he says, who is weak without my being weak? Who is laid into sin without my intense concern? Imagine yourself in Paul's shoes. He's the same man who's saying, rejoice always. And again I say, rejoice. I do not think there is any seated here, including myself, who can even come close to what Paul went through. 
And whose word, dear ones, would you treasure? The one who has walked the path or the one who just read and conveyed the word to you? I would rather look at the apostle Paul and hear what he has to say under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, rejoice in the Lord. And to say this again is no bother to me, but it is safeguard for you. It is safe for you. So the Apostle Paul, what he's doing here is causing the believers to place their trust unreservedly in the Supreme One. And that is the Lord. Do not look at yourself through the lenses of what we go through, but through the lenses of him who loved us so dearly that he gave his life up for us. And because of him, we shall rejoice. May the good Lord bless these truths to our hearts. May we pray together.